either you're focusing on the gap between where you were or like zero, right? Like where you started and where you are. If you're in the gap, you're focusing on the 16 things you didn't get done. If you're in the gain, you're focusing on the four things that you did get done. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Spindrift. Y'all don't know Spindrift? Check that stuff out. It's so good. AKA Rabbi Can't Lose, AKA Noah Kagan. Wicka, wicka, wicka. Today, we're joined by one of the biggest authors of the decade, the brains behind the global movement known as the Miracle Morning, and a, just a solid-ass dude, Hal Elrod. Hal Elrod's book didn't make the New York Times bestseller, didn't make the Wall Street Journal seller, it didn't even make the Jewish Weekly seller. I don't even know if Jewish Weekly is a list. But it has sold over 3 million copies, which is bonkers, 37 languages in the years since it's been put out. And that is such an inspiring story, how the hell he did it. And more importantly, what's this book about? Now, Hal has died almost twice, and so God doesn't want him around, but somehow he's still here, and he's got an amazing message to tell, and he tells it in such a powerful way. And I, I originally heard about this book, and I was like, oh, I don't want to read about this book. I read it in a sitting, and it was fire. And it doesn't mean get up at 5 a.m., because that sucks. I've done it, and I'm like, I don't know why people are doing this. But it does mean you can actually change your life in the morning, which we all have available to us. And before I get into the three things you're gonna take away from this episode, become of my own book launch team. We're closing the doors to our book launch team in two weeks. I think it's 11 days by the time this comes out. The Million Dollar Weekend book launch. If you wanna help in your own business, if you wanna see behind the scenes of how we're running the book launch, if you wanna meet other cool ass people and get accountability on your own business journey, a lot of people are loving it. Shoot me an email, book at okdork.com. That is book at okdork.com. Holler at your boy. Now in this conversation, you'll learn three gigantic things. The five-minute rule and how that can help you when things suck. This was a good one. Next, how did Hal sell so many copies of a book when it didn't even get popular in the beginning? This, that was so interesting, his journey of success with this book. And third, how do we all have miracle mornings? Let's go make some miracle mornings for each other so you will be able to find that out for yourself and get it going today. If you joined this episode as well, you're gonna love hearing from another best-selling author, Tucker Max, the one and only. I love this guy. He always hates on me, and I always like it. I'm sick out there. You can find his episode at 154 in our feed. You can also learn more about Hal at MiracleMorning.com, Miracle Morning on Instagram, and Hal Elrod, H-A-L Elrod on Twitter. He's also got a brand new expanded edition of the Miracle Morning. So go grab it today if you have not grabbed it on Kindle, on Kindle, physical, audible. I get my books at the library for a lot of them, but don't. Let's go support him. I went and bought two copies. Also, a special pre-show shout-out to listener Ginger Ninja. Dude, I already know this person's gonna be cool. Great advice and experience and delivered in a fun way. Fun and easy practical tips that get you out of your comfort zone and encourage action. I like his humor, his good looks, I made that part up, and delivery and sense of fun. Mixing business with pleasure. It should be that. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. I love that I get up in your earlobes every single week. If you love this episode, can you just send it to one person? Our number's been going down, and I think our episode quality's going up. I'm really proud of our episodes, and if you've enjoyed it, send it to one person that you like and be like, hey, I'm gonna change your life today. And if you wanna shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're checking out the show. I check every single one of them. Okay, I just had a thought. So we did all this research. You got How All Rod, Miracle Morning. We've known each other for years, but not actually like super close. No. I just had a, a thought, and I've consumed your videos and consumed your book. Do you think God doesn't want you alive, and he's just trying to get rid of you? Dude. Or if there's a God, he's like, dude, I gave him a car wreck with a drunk driver. I gave him yeah. cancer. This guy just can't be stopped. That's a great opening question. Um, I would say a couple things. One, I would say if we're going spiritual, the devil doesn't want me here, and he keeps trying. <laughs> and God's like, nope, I got you, bro. That'd be my, for the first answer that comes to mind. Uh, and then the other one, which I've gotten through really deep meditative experiences, which is code for plant medicine. <laughs> But no, I've gotten the message that like I'm on this journey and I was I'm supposed to go through these horrific near-death experiences, but then God equipped me with all the resources, both internally, like the mindset, 
but also the right people, the right parents, the right mentors to give me everything that I needed to be equipped to move through these in a way where I could extract the most valuable lessons and perspectives and then turn those into paradigms for other people to, to help others. And so that's like, that's the mission. You know, I read the book and then I watched the interviews and, uh, I, you know, it's funny when I heard the Miracle Morning and I heard your name, there's people like you and me who people know the names of the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. name, but I, yeah. I don't know what it is. And I was like, oh, I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. I thought that was your whole shtick. It was like, get up at 5. But coming back to how this all became, this all happened, it was this, this drunk driver experience and then how it, your attitude was positive. We'll, we'll get into that. Mm. But I was curious just to get started. Did you ever meet the drunk driver? So he didn't speak English, so I could never talk to him. But I went to the trial and the prosecutor said um, he showed no remorse. Like he's shown no remorse in any of the interviews. And they wanted to give him the maximum sentence, which for what he did was three years in prison. I had such severe brain damage, like I couldn't coherently speak, which is still kind of half the case, but yeah. uh, as you'll find out in the next uh, hour or so. But um, my dad, I, I shared my wishes with my dad. And so my dad spoke on my behalf and said, I just thought this guy's 31 years old. He has two kids and I had no ill will toward him. I'm like, he made a poor decision to drink alcohol and drive, which how many of us could look in the mirror and say, we've never done that. <laughs> right? And so I asked that he got six months in prison because I wanted, I, like he needed time. I felt, you know, like you need to reflect on what you did. But then I asked that the rest of his sentence was spent speaking in Hispanic speaking schools about drinking and driving. I thought that's way more proactive. He can be home with his family. What's him sitting in a cell for three years doing for anybody? I wanted it to serve other people. So, and the judge said, yeah, I don't do creative sentence. He didn't say that, but that's basically, he's like, uh, that's a great little cute ask, but we're going to go with the three years. And so that's what it is. So I never oh, talked to him. Wow. Yeah. For the audience that maybe isn't as familiar, and I'll give the preface, was got into a drunk driving accident where you got hit and then it really changed your life. Yeah. And I was just curious, you know, I've seen so much. I, I like going through some of the questions that maybe that, that aren't, aren't touched. And so, yeah. and you never saw this guy again, the one that, that hit you. No, never saw him again. And he went to three years in jail. Yeah. I didn't follow up you know, to see if he served or if he got out or like, I just, there was no point in me. I wasn't concerned with it. That is wild. For other people out there that haven't had a, I would say traumatic, like that is a truly traumatic experience, like almost dying from a drunk driving accident, being hit. Like how can other people have such a profound shift of, of maybe purpose of life without something so traumatic? Yeah, I do think that is an important piece, like where certain people, and I don't know why I was, you know, whether it was chosen or it's just coincidence or whatever, but you know, go through these horrible, just different experiences. And I think we're meant to learn from each other. And we've all, I would never say my adversity is worse than somebody else's. But I think that like, you know, whether it's Tony Robbins or whoever, you're reading a book, you're learning from somebody, whether it's Noah Kagan, right? But you're learning from somebody, learning from the experience of others. So to me, the greatest lesson and purpose I ever learned, and then I'll share the one that I kind of added to it, was from Matthew Kelly. Uh, he wrote a book called The Rhythm of Life. And in that book, he said, the purpose, your purpose in life is to become the best version of yourself. And he said, and, and that way you're not comparing yourself with other people, right? You are just trying to become the best version of yourself. And what's beautiful about that purpose is, A, it's universal for everybody. And you can backtest it against every choice that you make. You're like, hmm, would putting this food in my mouth, this candy or this unhealthy blood, fried food, make me a better version of myself? Or would this living, rich, nutrient, whole food, right? So it's you can, every decision that you make, and to me, that's what the Miracle Morning is, is like, this is a daily practice to become the best version of yourself. And every day you become a better version of who you were the day before, and you just keep evolving into the best version of yourself. And, and then what I added to that is that you get to make your purpose up. Like that for me, I tried that on for many years, that purpose, and it's still an underlying purpose. 
but I think there's more than one. So I, I then at one point added to that, my purpose is to become the best version of myself so that I can help other people do the same. It was the selfish, okay, I got to focus on myself, but in service of others. So to me, it's like, I think that we get hung up with, oh, I have to figure out what my purpose is. And we go through life, God, what's my purpose? Or what, right? We put all this pressure to figure out our purpose. I don't think you figure it out. I think you make it up and you try it on and you see how it fits and feels. You live that way for a bit. And then you either change if it doesn't feel right. Or for me, it's always been like, yep, I'm keeping that as part of my purpose. And I'm going to add this on. And I'm going to add this on, right? What was your purpose before the accident? It was what everybody's unconscious purpose is, which is to be liked, right? To be important and to be loved. I mean, just the, the human purpose that you, you wake up and when you're born, you just want to be loved. And, you know, so yeah, I, I don't think I had much thought about it. Yeah, I'd say that's most of us, Yeah, right? And the same with relationships or work. Me and my friend have this discussion. It's like 80% life, you know, everyone knows 80-20. But most of us actually live in the 80 where it's just living through like the norms and living through like, I guess this is my purpose and I guess this is my job, but not really actually acknowledging what they wanted to be, yeah. which is in that 20%, which is in the, those edges. And I mean, you went through something crazy. And, and I, I guess all my life, I always was jealous. I was so jealous when people were like, oh, I know, my purpose is to find my best version mm. of myself. I'm like, well, that's a good one. Where'd you find that? Uh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or I know I want to be doing cooking or I know I want to be doing, making video games. Or be a mom or dad. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. yes. Yeah. Shout out to the moms. Yeah. That, I mean, like, I want to do this work. I'm like, where did you find that out? I need to know. Yeah. But it's interesting. So your approach on purpose is not, don't make it such a big, heavy thing, yeah. but something where you're just a good version of yourself and then see how these different versions of your purpose feel. And I think that for me, I, I differentiate purpose and mission. And so the difference is purpose is universal and mission is specific. So my purpose is to become the best version of myself in service of others, right? That's the underlying purpose. I can, it's everything that I do, every choice that I make, I can hold it against that. My mission, when the Miracle Morning first came out, it was change one million lives one morning at a time. It was very specific. And that was a inspiring way of saying, you know, sell a million books, get it in the hands of a million people and change their lives. And I chose that because one million was such a big number for me, right? Like when the Miracle Morning it was self-published, I, I didn't have an audience. I was a nobody. So I'm like, that's a number that will probably take the rest of my life, you know? And then it took six years to reach a million people with the Miracle Morning. And then I'm like, oh, well, I need a new mission. Right. So my purpose is it never changed. It was still becoming every day. I'm going to wake up, dedicate time to becoming the best version of myself. I'm going to share my message with other people to help them do the same. And then, but I need a new mission because I reached a million people now. So what's it going to be? And I did a lot of, I like would survey the Miracle Morning community and go, how does this help you? What does it help you do? And what I came up with, and it wasn't the wording that they used, but the Miracle Morning to me, it was helping everyone doing it elevate their consciousness. To be elevate your consciousness means to become more aware of how your thoughts, words, and actions impact you and the people around you. So more aware and more intentional. If you're unconscious, you're not aware and you're not intentional, right? So elevating your consciousness is being more aware and intentional about how you're impacting yourself and the people around you. So the mission of the Miracle Morning became elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning and one person at a time. And then that way, it's, there's no number attached to it. It's just, this is the rest of my life. I'm going to try to help people elevate their consciousness and yeah. See what happens. It's been interesting with Million Dollar Weekend and trying to think about what my own purpose is. And I think all of us, every person out there is, is reflecting on what is my purpose here? Unfortunately, it's you get to decide it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I know myself where I was 25 in Argentina feeling very like, is there someone going to tell me what it is supposed to be? Because I know what it's not. And that was actually really helpful because I was making video games and I was living remotely. And I was like, it's definitely not this. I think what I found for me with my purpose is just, what do I really just want to work on for free? Yeah. So that's part one. And mm -hmm. for me, it's promotion. Like promoting someone like Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning. 
promoting AppSumo software deals, promoting YouTube channels. The second thing with purpose that I found, and this is this has been in the past three years, is that it has to be something hard. It has to be actually something that's a challenge. And then you actually find purpose in the hard work. You find purpose in the in the struggle. And versus like, I was just kind of floundering other years where I'm like, okay, I like promoting things, but I'm not really promoting seriously. And so one thing uh, I was curious with your purpose and how you're doing these different things. Yeah, I guess just for myself, that's where I was thinking about my own purpose. Like, I like promoting. And you said it has to be hard. Yeah, I found that it, when we do things that are hard, we're more proud of them. And that was really able to tie that to my purpose. Because when I was doing just promoting and these things for free, which I love, I was like, this is nice. It doesn't really feel good. Mm. But when it's like, AppSumo has 100 people's livelihoods on the line, and there's a YouTube channel that, that matters. It's just like, wow, this is really hard work. And I, I think when we all look back, it was like, what are we most proud of? You're yeah. almost always proud of the thing that was hard. The thing that was hard. Yeah, yeah you're not proud yeah. of like winning the lottery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone ever won yeah. the lottery. But like, that's a really of- good point. Everybody looked back at everything I did that was really hard, you know, and or then it's so hard that I was like, I don't even know if I can do this, but I'm going to keep trying, keep trying. Like, oh my God, it happened. Those are the moments that you're most proud of. When you think of someone who has a purpose, who is the first person you think of? And what is it about them? The person that came up for me right now is John Vroman, my buddy. He founded Front Row Dads. Uh, in Front Row Dads, their tagline is family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. So it serves like entrepreneurs that have families and, and which often get in the you know, habit of like work becomes everything and then oh, yeah. families like when there's extra time. And he found himself in that boat. And so he created his own mastermind, if you will, Front Row Dads, where, yeah, he's helping dads put family first. And he believes that's how he's going to change society and change the world is like one father at a time. And then that impacts their spouse and their kids yeah. and then the world. When I said, who, who do you think has a purpose? What is it about him that others can learn from or think about in their own definition of their purpose? Yeah, you know, now that you say that, I would almost maybe say he has a mission, you know, and, and it's, all, it's all semantics, right? Mission, purpose, whatever. But yeah. just the way I clarified in my own head is like purpose is this universal why you're doing what you're doing and mission is like the specific goals that serve the purpose. But uh, so for him, maybe it's more of a mission, but it's just, yeah, I, he's the first person I thought of because I thought he's got this mission to reach dads. He's doing it in a phenomenal way, you know? So it's very specific. I thought of my buddy, Adam Gilbert. You know, mybodytutor.com? I know the there. name, but I do not know him. It's just like the Miracle Morning. Yeah, it's okay. like Hal Elrod. Yeah. It's like, you know him? Yeah. I'm not really sure it is yet. So Adam Gilbert, mybodytutor.com, his purpose is to help people with fitness. Mm. He truly, he's been doing it 15 years or 16 years in his business. And he wakes up every day excited to do it. Yeah. It's fascinating that he was able to find that early on. He, he knew the things that didn't work. He was an accountant before, an auditor. Yeah. One of the big four. Huge difference. And he was like... <laughs> You know, I'm going to make less money now. I'm going to do the thing I really enjoy. And now he's actually making tremendously more than in his day job. Yeah. It seems like a lot of this stuff, though, came probably from your parents, I'm guessing. And it seems like your parents are your best friends. Yeah, I have, it's funny. I was just this morning, I was reading Ben Hardy's book, The Gap and the Gain. And I was writing my gains, you know, just the things in your life that, have, that are positive. It's funny, this morning, I literally wrote the relationship with my mom and dad is like extraordinary. And I wrote in parentheses, almost perfect. So funny, that's literally what I wrote this morning. But uh, yeah, my mom and dad, I'm just, I'm so blessed. And it breaks my heart when I hear, you know, somebody that like, they don't have a good relationship with their parents. Although in some ways that sometimes makes somebody who they are. And, you know, I mean, there can be a blessing in the adversity, but yeah, my mom and dad. um, So I was eight years old. I had a six-year-old sister, Haley, and an 18-month-old sister, Amory. I was at home with my mom and Amory and my dad was at work and Haley was at my grandma's house. And I woke up to my mom screaming across the hall. She was saying, oh, my baby, my baby. And I thought she was playing with my sister. And then I like, I came to and I was like, oh my God, that she sounds terrified. And I ran across the hall and she was performing CPR on my 18 month old sister. And 
you know, I called 911. I, I went to my neighbor's house to try to get help. And Amory died that morning and devastated our family, of course. For me, I was at eight. I didn't know how to, you know, I'm like, I, I was confused, I think, yeah. more than devastated. I'm like, well, so I don't have a sister? Like, we're not going to see her again? What? But my mom and dad, you know, it's the parents' worst nightmare. And within six to 12 months, my mom was leading a support group for other parents who had lost their children. And my dad started a fundraiser to raise money for the hospital that cared for my sister while she was alive because she had a really rare condition, which is what she eventually died from. But what I learned from my parents, and I didn't know it at the time, it's like it really like the seed was planted. And then I look at how my life unfolded and how I responded to my car accident and financial crash and, and cancer and all these things. It was, you know, turning your pain into purpose. It was like, oh, when you go through adversity, if you can go through with the mindset of asking the question, how can I use this experience to both become a better version of myself and to help other people. It's finding purpose. So you imagine my mom, I think about like, if I get down into the weeds, like she's at a meeting, she's leading these people through the process that she went through to heal herself of grief, of, of this loss of my, my sister. How good does that actually feel, right? So she's taking this painful experience, finding a purpose to serve others, and now she feels really good. That, you know, so now that's connected to my sister's death. Now it's not this horrible tragedy. I mean, it still is, but it's like, wow, there's something that came out of that. And I just hired a, a friend of mine who made the Miracle Morning movie, the documentary, Nick. I said, I want you to make a documentary, like a mini version, like a 10 minute documentary about my mom. And so he just sent me the rough cut like three days ago. You know, she talked about how much good came out of my sister's death, you know, and she's crying on screen while she's sharing it. I mean, it, it still breaks her heart. Yeah. And so my mom and dad in every way, like they've always been loving and they've supported me and they're just, I'm just blessed with great parents. Yeah. What values did they teach you? And then how do they raise you? There's this one thing where like tragedy turns into triumph and they, one thing I want to call out, they led by example. Yeah. My mom, people are, oh, how'd your mom raise you? And she just works really hard all the time. Yeah. And she's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think I'm, I'm those two things. I'm very persistent and I just saw her working. Yeah. I saw my father asking, which is part of Million Dollar Weekend, which is just like, this, how do you get better at asking? And so I guess I'm curious what other values they, they taught you and which values you're, you're passing on to your children. It's interesting. I put so much pressure on myself as a dad to do, be, be perfect. And I'm sure it probably shows up in other areas of life. You are right? perfect. Oh, thank you. Um, but but I'm <laughs> for, yeah, perfectionist, but especially with my kids, right? Like, you know, there's no higher stakes to me than, than who they become and, and how I can impact that. I'm always focused on the gap between what I could have, should have done and I'm not doing. And I, you know, but then I look back at my parents and I go, so I'm always reading books on parenting and, you know, and I'm joining front row dads. And, and then I go, my mom and dad didn't do any of that. Like I put so much pressure on myself to be so intentional as a parent. And then I always feel like I'm falling short. And I'm like, they didn't read a single book on parenting, right? Like yeah. they were just good human beings that really worked hard. So hard work for sure. My parents, you know, bought their first house when they were 18 or 20 or whatever. I mean, you know, they've always worked hard. They started their own business too. So entrepreneurship, they were probably in their early 30s, maybe 30s. And my dad worked at a grocery store and the people that owned it wanted to retire. It was a small grocery store. And he went to my mom. He's like, hey, this is our chance. Like, this is my dream to own my own business, you know? And my mom was probably like, no, we're not doing it. And, you know, ended up, they bought a grocery store when I was 11 years old. And uh, so I watched them build that. And my dad was creative and he did all sorts of fun activities and decorate. We won the best Christmas decorations every year. So there was this creativity and this fun. And and then they really supported me. At 15 years old, I started my first business as a mobile DJ. And my dad, he put $1,500 on like a, an a, open up a credit account, credit line with the DJ company. But I was working at the grocery store. So I had to pay the monthly payments and pay it off. But yeah, so they were super supportive. 
super kind. My mom donates blood every week. She sits with people that are dying in hospice. She volunteers at the Elks Lodge. This is why I made the movie about her. I'm like, I wanted to show how one person can live in alignment with her values and make a difference. Even though she's not changing millions of lives, she's changing dozens, maybe hundreds of lives. And it's, she lives so in alignment with her values. And now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking one of my highest values is to live in alignment with the rest of my values. And so I got that from my mom and dad. And then what do your kids say about you? <laughs> That's, so my daughter's 14, going on 25, and uh, my son is 11. I think they would say a lot of the same things that I'd say about my dad, just like one of the nicest guys in the world, like he's always doing right. You know, they'd for sure have some negative constructive criticism. Like my daughter recently told my wife and my wife came to me and was like, hey, I want to tell you, Sophie says she feels bad to tell you this, but like you love her too much. (laughs) And, 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 and meaning like she said, you try way too hard. She doesn't want to hurt your feelings. And she said, it almost feels stupid to like tell my dad that he loves me too much. But she's like, you're just always texting her how much you love her. And you're always, and my wife gave me this great analogy. She goes, sweetheart, think of it like dating. If you're dating somebody and they're like, oh my God, I love you so much. You're so amazing. I love you so much. You're going to be like, dude, slow your roll. <laughs> like, like, give me some space. I get it. You like me. You love me. But like, you're smothering me with your love. And like, that's what it was. And so now I'm thinking about, she's like, so my wife said, so, you know, when you're dating, be like, you want to be kind of cool. And, you know, right? like, you know, and so, so yeah, so I'm like, oh, but, but my, my philosophy, I almost died of cancer a few years ago. Right. Yeah. And so the longer I'm alive now, the, the less the fear is, but there's a very high chance of relapse, especially in the first five years. And I just passed the five-year mark. But my fear is like, okay, what if the cancer comes back and I die? I need to have told my daughter, I love her so friggin' much that it is so deeply embedded in her subconscious that when she's at college, she's gonna be like, oh, my daddy's not here, but he loved me, you know? So, so that was it. And, but now I'm, you know, finding that, that it's like anything in life, there's, there's a balance, you know? You know, in, in being a parent or in purpose, and, you know, one of the things you've said about your purpose is to live a level 10 life and to live a, a great life, not be mediocre and be a great dad and not be mediocre. And how do you know when you're being mediocre and how do you know when you're great? It's funny, in the first edition of The Miracle Morning, and this is why I tell every author, by the way, self-publish your first book or any book because you can read the three-star, two-star, and one-star reviews that come up on Amazon and look for common themes and go, oh, I guess I did mess that part up. And I talked in the book about mediocrity. You know, there was enough people that were really offended by the way I talked about it, like how, he, you know, he thinks everybody's mediocre, he thinks I'm mediocre. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, didn't come across the right, the way I meant it. The way that I frame mediocrity is this is not how you compare against other people. You're not mediocre compared to this person because this person's doing more than you and they make more money or whatever. Mediocrity to me is just a comparison against the best version of yourself. And it's if you're waking up every day and you're dedicating time to becoming a better version of yourself, just to learning and growing and evolving and, and serving and not being perfect, but just getting better, just being the best you can be. That to me is extraordinary. But if you're waking up every day and you're settling, you, if you, because you know, it's just this intuitive, all it takes is one second hand on the heart and go, am I settling for less than I'm capable of right now and less than I really want? And you can apply that to an area of life, like in my health. Yeah, I'm eating crappy and I am not exercising. I know I should be. So the, I know I should be. And then if you continue not to me, that's, you're accepting a level of mediocrity for yourself. And by the way, I do it every day and you do it every day. Like it's a constant, I don't like the word battle. I'd like, opportunity, right? But it's a constant thing where it's always easy to do nothing. It's always easy to take the easy road, right? It takes effort and courage and some discipline to do what you know in your heart is right. And so, you know, to me, it's just making sure you're moving closer toward your full potential 
than settling for less. And, you know, some days I settle, but I try more often than not to move away from that mediocrity and that settling and that, because settling leads to struggling. And that's where most people, if we're struggling in life, it's probably because somewhere along the way, we settled for less than we were capable of. And the result of that is struggling. What is up, y'all? Quick sponsor plug. And I am so excited about the sponsor. And y'all know I have almost zero sponsors because most of the companies that sponsor suck and I can't really endorse them fully. Today's company, I fully do. It is gusto.com. You can check them out at gusto.com slash Noah. Let them know you came from us. This is so cool that they were excited to get into your earlobes. Now, at AppSumo.com, we use, I think, Insperity or some other crappy thing. And I pray to all the Jesus, Jewish, Buddha, Muslim, all the gods that one day we can be on Gusto.com. And you can use Gusto.com slash Noah. Now, for our smaller team, this is definitely something we're considering for the YouTube team. If you're a one-person or two-person team, if you have HR headaches or you haven't even thought about it, Gusto.com slash Noah is probably the thing to go do today. Get it over with. And then you can actually be like, holy shit, that was awesome. Because this is such a nightmare. Trying to get 1099. So if you have contractors, if you get a full-time employee, and good for you, by the way, grant your own company. I'm proud of you. You've been listening to the show and taking action. Doing payroll. It's unbelievable how it's like, dude, how, how does this help me grow my business? I don't want to be dealing with this. I want to be helping customers and kicking ass and drinking lattes or, or orange mocha frappuccinos. So by getting all this stuff set up with gusto.com, uh, you don't have to worry about any of that crap. It is such a headache. We literally at AppSumo have two full-time people because we're not using gusto.com. Why the hell are we not using this shit right away? I'm going to have to talk to the team. But if you're just getting started, you want to maybe do 401k, health insurance, a lot of other stuff, if you're hiring people internationally, it's a pain in the tuchus. From gusto.com sponsoring, we're able to buy copies of Million Dollar Weekend, which is coming up. Stay tuned to January. We'll be giving out copies of that from their sponsorship of the show, which is super cool. Go use gusto.com slash Noah. Shout out to them for hooking us up. Most of us, you know, when you hear people talk on YouTube or all these different places, almost how often are, are you actually surprised? Like, wow, that was wisdom. It's like very infrequently, actually. Yeah. And when I talk to people who are pretty ordinary, like just normals, total normal, like basic job, basic everything, they're really smart. You kind of realize it's the difference between a lot of people is just who's willing to face themselves. And not, it doesn't be some courageous thing where you like kill a tiger. I don't, we shouldn't kill tigers. But like, yeah. it's like, okay, I kind of always wanted to, open a grocery store, like your father and going forward. Yeah. Or I've always wanted to have a garden. It yeah. doesn't have to be a massive thing, but it's just doing the thing that is probably hard and that we've avoided the most is also probably the thing that we could be doing and, and probably feel the best version of yeah. ourselves. For me, it was like, you know, doing this book, Million Dollar Weekend, it was a total fear move where I like try to avoid all responsibility for the majority of the book. And then when I finally faced it and the hard part in myself, it was where I was the most proud. Yeah. But I, I try to, pay people and hire people and avoid this hard work. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a very common thing for everyone. Like, yeah. is it in my health? Is it in my relationships with my partner who I don't like? Is it with my business or my job that sucks? Yeah. And then what's that hard thing I'm avoiding? Okay, let's go do that thing. And, you know, I, what I love about Miracle Morning, and I, I'll say even like Million Dollar Weekend, everyone has a morning, everyone has a weekend to change their life. And I originally thought with your book, I was like, fuck, I don't want to get up at 5 a.m., dude. Yeah. And it's not, I think your whole message is great. It's not about 5 a.m., it's Put yourself first to have some time available to just improve. And yeah. even in a minute. And yeah. that daily, you start realizing how much more confidence, how much better you feel about yourself. And, and you give methods in the book so that people, it's like, all right, here's some templates you can use as well. Yeah. I think that going to what you were just talking about, about the doing the hard thing and, you know, starting the garden, opening the grocery store, right? And it's always just that first step. It's like, Google, how do you open a grocery store? <laughs> how do you start a garden, right? Like, it's funny, whenever I I'll often get emails from people and uh, I've trained my team to, if they ask a question, like the first thing to do is Google their question 
<laughs> and then send them go, hey, I found 7,682 results, <laughs> right? Like, you know, but it's like teach a man to fish kind of thing, right? But anyway, the point is one of the most powerful lessons I learned when I was 19 years old, I started in sales with Cutco Cutlery. One of the, the lessons I learned from one of my mentors, Brad Britton, he simply said the secret to success in every area of life is to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And that became a mantra. In fact, we have our family values and every night we read our family values. And at the very end of the family values, it says, Elrods live by, I should have this memorized, Elrods live by their family values. We do the right thing, not the easy thing. It kind of goes back to that Matthew Kelly purpose, which is like, you know, every choice you make, it's like, is this the best version of myself or is this a lesser, am I accepting less? I've practiced do the right thing, not the easy thing, that it's every choice I make. Oh, what should I order on this menu? Mm, that looks good. That'd be the easy thing is to give into the temptation of that super unhealthy, super fried food. And sometimes, yes, of course I'll do it. But more often than not, it's, but the right thing is to eat the thing that fuels my body, my energy, my longevity. Okay. When the alarm goes off in the morning and you were planning on waking up and doing your miracle morning or dedicating some time to your, your growth or whatever, the easy thing is to go back to sleep. The right thing is to follow through with the thing that you committed to that you know is going to move you toward where you want to be or who you want to be. And so that little voice in my head, you know, it keeps me on track more often than not. Yeah. It's been interesting seeing transformations. You've seen, you know, millions with Miracle Morning and transformations of Million Dollar Weekend where what I've noticed is two observations. One, it has to be small. It has to be small. Like yeah. just get momentum yeah. going. And then it has to be fun. So read another book and then I started reading your book uh, literally yesterday, the newer version. It was just a good book. It's well-written, good stories, good message that it was fun to read. And so I think we do it on painful things. We're like, mm. all right, I have to go do jogging. And you hate jogging. Yeah. You can do boxing. You can do walking. Yeah. You yeah. can do biking. You yeah. can do whatever it is. And so do something small just to get some confidence, frankly, and yeah. trust in yourself. And then find a fun version of it. If the book sucks, change the book. If you don't like running, if you don't, I don't really like meditating. Go on a bike ride and don't listen to music. And that's what I do. So find the version that works for you. Yeah. And so I do like these, uh, these abilities to, to make changes for our lives. You, you mentioned Cutco, and I got to come back on Cutco. Because <laughs> can you teach people how to sell? Uh, can <laughs> I? So let's take a step back. I know we're, gonna, we're going over different topics, and I'll get into worries and purpose. We'll come back on some of that. But you've sold 2 million copies of a book, which I also want to dive into. But you, you're a professional speaker, and I do think a lot of it comes from your Cutco experience. So how did you get comfortable asking, right? That's a lot of what Million Dollar Weekend is. It's actually paid dividends in your whole career is what I've observed. Yeah. And for me, though, there's not a lot of strategy, believe it or not, in how I approach selling. In one word, the only reason, not the only reason, but the main reason that I've done well with selling books, selling Cutco, whatever, enthusiasm. That's it. And authenticity and enthusiasm. I think it's those two, right? So I'm always coming from a genuine place of, right, I'm never trying to manipulate, never trying to trick somebody, never, never trying to be selfish. So there's, that's what I mean by authenticity. Like you're authentically in a place of service, trying to do what's best for the person in front of you. And then enthusiasm. And that for me is just automatic. When I started breaking records with Cutco, but what's your secret? I'm like, I just go in there and I'm just genuinely excited about the knives. They're amazing. And I tell the person in front of me and I think if they say enthusiasm is contagious, right? And I was like, I don't think they can hear half of what I say because I talk so fast and loud, and loud to your and point. Loud. Yeah. And super loud. Um, right. So that's always been my, so that's just automatic. And, uh, and same with the Miracle Morning. Like just, it's funny. So our, my friend, John Vroman, the founder of Front Road Ads that I mentioned earlier, John, you owe me for these plugs. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he always tells this, a couple stories about me. 
where he said, how, you know, how would call me or we'd be talking or hanging out, you know, and he's like, oh my gosh, have you seen this? And he would, you know, and he's telling me all about this product. And, he, and I would, I'm like, oh, are you selling this now? And he's like, what? No. He goes, I literally think he's selling the thing, but he goes, he just gets so excited about stuff. So I think that there's an, I think there's something to that, but I think the authenticity is they're linked because if you're not a normally enthusiastic person, right? Like if you're not a super excitable yeah. person, then the authenticity piece is what's your level of enthusiasm? I'd be like, hey, Noah, I really want to tell you about something. Like this has really changed my life. And I really think it could help you, right? Like very much lower level of enthusiasm, right? But it's still like your- Convictions there. Yeah, the conviction, the, 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 you're authentically sharing something. And to me, that's the secret to success in selling. It's not about slick strategies or tricks. And, and there is, you know, I read a book at one point called Influence by Robert Cialdini. You know, and there's definitely techniques of like, if you start with something, a much higher priced product, and then you present a lower price, the human psychology is like, oh, wow, that lower price seems way less. But if you started with the lower price, it would have not compared to anything else. It would have felt like a lot, right? So there's certain things I learned along the way, but the majority of it, I would forget and just be super excited and genuine about whatever I was, you know, sharing. Two comments or two call outs from what you talked about. And we're going to, we're actually going to go backwards to go forwards. Yeah. One it's easy to be excited when you like the product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the point. Yeah. And I want to highlight that because that's so important. You liked these Cutco knives and they're, they're actually pretty good knives. Yeah. You gave me one. Shout yeah. out Lewis Howes. He, shot, he sent me a Cutco knife years ago. <laughs> and it's a really good knife. And yes. so with your book, with your courses or with, I'm, for anyone out there, whatever it is, if it's Adam from My Body Tutor, if it's my book or AppSumo or your Twitter or whoever it is, find something you're excited about yeah. or create the thing you're excited about or go join that company and you love those knives. You believe in Miracle Morning. It works for you. And it's exciting to them share that with others. The other thing that you, it's a, it's a thread in your stories that is, it's kind of hinted at, and it's a powerful lesson, is how you keep having these people pop up in your lives. This mentor at Cutco, mm -hmm. this front row dad's guy. Mm -hmm. There's a few of these other people, and I, I definitely can, I feel very similar where there's these angels. Yeah. Oh, I, I angels. call them angels. Absolutely. Yeah. There's these guardian angels. There's been a guy named Heaton, Adam Gilbert, Eamon Al-Abdul, the former CEO of AppSumo that I can call on or have been there in these moments of need that have not just accepted me, but pushed me in a healthy way. Yeah. They accepted me and then pushed me. And so is it just being in the environments? How did you collect these angels or find them? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, a lot of it does feel like serendipity. You know, like when I met, I met Teddy Watson in college and then he was like, you should sell Cutco with me. And I'm like, dude, I'm a, D, a radio DJ. Like, no thanks. It was interesting. I was with, I was dating this girl who also sold Cutco in the same office. And then I went with her to the office one day and I met Jesse, my, who became my mentor, one of best friends. And, you know, and, uh, he was Teddy's best friend. And uh, Jesse just told me about, you know, Cutco and really explained it in a way. So yeah, so, so it's almost serendipitous, but I will say, so that's not helpful because you're like, well, great. I'll just chill out and wait for serendipity. The, the <laughs> other aspect of it is what you said is putting yourself in situations. For example, I hired, uh, when I was being, trying to be a college speaker. So I was, I'm probably like mid twenties. And I wanted to be a speaker and I thought, well, I'm young. So I'm probably, none of these, you know, CEOs are going to listen to me. Like I look like a kid. So I should start with high schools and colleges. And so at the time, this uh, gentleman named James Malinchek, I don't know if you know his name, but he uh, ran this college speaking success bootcamp. And so I joined his program. So did John Vroman. Actually, we both started speaking at colleges and uh, I invested to go to this event. I didn't have money. And I called John. I'm like, hey, John, we can split the cost, this $14,000 coaching program. And uh, John's like, dude, I don't have 14. I'm like, neither do I. But I think we can, if we put on the credit card, like I was just, I'm like, we, we'll, we're going to, if we get like five college speeches in just the next year, 
the program will pay for itself, right? So John didn't even know who James Malinchik was. Again, I sold John based on genuine authenticity and enthusiasm, right? He didn't even know who he was. Mm. And he was, John was struggling financially. And he's like, okay, I'll put seven grand on my credit card. Anyway, the point is, I then joined the program. I invested the time, the energy. And then I was in James's program and I was at his house doing like a coaching thing. And Miracle Morning had just published and I had just had a couple of people want to write, uh, or one person, a friend of mine, Ryan Snow, reached out and said, Hal, I've given the Miracle Morning to every salesperson on my team. Roughly half of them have read it and half have not. And the half that have read it, most of them are doing it. He said, every single one of the people that are doing the Miracle Morning, their sales have gone up. And he said, and the rest, no change. It can't be a coincidence. He said, have you thought about doing like the Miracle Morning for blank salespeople in this case or some sort of spinoff? And I'm like, let's co-author the book. And so, you know, it's like no vetting process. I'm like, oh, my buddy Ryan, for sure, let's do it. I jump, I move quickly. So I'm at James's house and he goes, what are you charging for people to write a book in this series? And uh, I go, charging? I said, I feel lucky that they would even run to write a book. He's like, but you're, you're working your butt. You've, and, and at that point, Miracle Morning been out for a couple of years. Like you've built this brand. You're still mm-hmm. building the brand and you're gonna be building the brand long after they've written their little book and disappeared to do their own thing. He's like, you should be charging something for them. To, it's like licensing. It's like franchising, right? Somebody yeah. has to pay 500 grand to open a McDonald's. And I was like, oh, okay. What do you think I should charge? And I'm totally insecure. I'm like, I don't have the, you know, what to ask somebody to pay me to be, I, you know, I feel like I'm just asking them to help. Anyway, he goes, I would charge at least $10,000. I was like, okay. And I'm writing this down thinking, I'll never have the courage to charge somebody $10,000. And like a week later, somebody reaches out to me, got introduced to this guy, and he's a really prominent real estate trainer. And he says, hey, I'd love to do like a miracle morning for real estate agents. I'm like, that would be great. And he said, is there a buy-in? How much does it cost to do a book in the series? And I'm like, the little voice in my head, I'm like, this is the moment of truth. You like, you got to have the courage. And I'm like, you know, big gulp, you know, um, uh, $10,000, right? I think it was more, it's not more like a question than a statement. I'm like, $10,000, right? He goes, that's it? Oh, done. I was like, wow. So that right there, more than paid for the investment in the coaching program. It was putting yourself in environments, getting out of your comfort zone. And I recently went to something, my wife, I was like, I should go to this dinner. I don't want to go though. I'm an introvert. Honestly, I don't like going and doing social stuff. I was like, you got to do it. I went and had a smoothie with Giovanni Marcico, you know, and now I'm speaking at his event. I'm going to be in a movie that he's doing next year, a documentary, all because I said yes to a smoothie when my insecurity was like, I don't want to. But my voice in my head, which was my wife at the time, do the right thing, not the easy thing. The right thing is get out of your comfort zone and go connect with this other like-minded human being. The easy thing is stay home and do nothing. So that's it. Serendipity and proactively putting yourself in as many possible situations to meet people and develop those relationships. Yeah. There are people that just want to take care of others in some way. And I like my buddy, Neil, he's a doctor. I'm always texting him. I'm like, bro, I need this prescription. <laughs> and he's just love. My brother's a doctor. He doesn't want to help people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think of it love. And it, yeah. it's, I'd say one, noticing the people that are looking out for you and not, and not being necessarily nice. Like my buddy, Neville Medora, I think, you know, Neville, know Neville copywritingcourse.com. And I still remember this day, we went to Wu Chow in Austin and he's like, you've been so unimpressive lately. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah, huh? Pass the, dim- uh, the dumplings. And it was just such a great moment that really changed me for that, I don't know, that last next 10 years where, yeah. and now I'm telling him that. <laughs> nice. well, I'm just like, hey man, you got to step up on your game. And, and that's real good friends. Those are the angels who want to be looking out for you. Yeah. The other thing that I've done this and I would say it's a strategy is, paying for access to angels or paying yeah. to be around angels. Yeah. And so it's not the only way. There are other ways. Like yeah. you can be geographically, you can go work for a company like Cutco. 
But I've sponsored different podcasts. I've, you know, maybe paid for a course yeah. or I've bought something of a person. And that's a way just to even be around them. And yes, it maybe is 14,000, but it could also be $40 for a book. Sure. They're like, hey, I bought your book. I bought yeah. two of them. And people will actually be responsive and you'd be surprised. And so I do think there's a way if you have some money, yeah. not even 14,000, but $100 that you can differentiate yourself and potentially find angels. Yeah. And I only paid seven of that 14,000 to be clear. Is, Roman bought the, uh, John Roman bought the, paid the other half. I want to say this too. I think that underneath all of that is how you show up. And I read a book in 2004 or five called Love is the Killer App by Tim Sanders, former COO of Yahoo, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that book, he talks a lot about adding value for other people. That's like how he frames the book. And he gives like yeah. three or four ways to add value. Share your love, share your knowledge, share your network. I think those are the three. That was actually the first purpose that was actually born, now that I think about it, before Matthew Kelly's book, because I read that like three years later, it was to selflessly add value to the lives of other people. That was my first purpose when I was mid-20s. Selflessly add value for the, to the lives of other people. It started out with just add value to the lives, but what I found is I was doing it only when I felt like it. Totally. Right? So I'm like, and then I added the word selflessly because I'm like, wait, am I going to really live this purpose in a pure way where I am, or, or is it going to be on my terms? Like, I'll live my purpose when I feel like it. Like, I don't feel like helping this person. So, right? so to me, I needed it to be selfless, like meaning how can I serve this purpose whether I feel like it or not, whether it benefits me or not? I want to just be a person where I'm adding as much value to the lives of the people as I possibly can. And so I started doing that. And it's, it's like anything. It's tough if that's not your, because that wasn't my, I was a really selfish kid growing up, you know, right? Like, but I read that book and it opened my mind to like, this is a different way of thinking. And here's, and if someone is like, if, or for you, if you're like, yeah, that's tough, start by being selfishly selfless. Meaning know that, okay, if you need to start with like, okay, well, what's in it for me, which is fair. That's human nature is what's in it for me. Then you go, what's in it for me? If I'm constantly trying to add value to every person that I possibly can in every way I can without burning myself out, right? I mean, um, but I'm just, I'm just like, hey, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I help? I'm going to become a person of value to other people. So that year, I'm like, my purpose is to selflessly add value to the lives of every person I can. And it was my last year selling Cutco. And I decided to go for my best year ever to finish strong with, you know, it was my sixth year of the company. And I was at a conference. And when I had this realization that I'm going to go big, I'm going to go for this huge goal. And then I was in the bathroom and this guy, Yavor Ivanov was in the, in the stall next to me or not the stall, but the whatever urinal. And uh, I said, Yavor, why don't we go for 200,000 this year? He's like, oh, I don't know. I have uh, other, da, da, da. I go, no, you're scared, dude. I'm scared too, but you're scared. Let's not let fear dictate what we do this year. I said, I'm going to put together a call every week for the next 52 weeks. Let's get Joe. Let's get right. I was like naming all of our colleagues. I'm like, let's get all of us on it and all lead it every week. And we're just going to hold each other accountable to follow through and do the things. The point is I committed to run this call because my purpose that I had defined like four months earlier was to selflessly add value. And I thought, if all I'm doing is having my best year ever, that's not in alignment with my purpose. How can I make it in alignment? I go, well, if I hold a call and I support, encourage, and provide accountability for my friends, my colleagues, that would be in alignment with my purpose. So that year ends, I reached my goal, more people than in the history, the 50 year history of the company hit the goal that year that we're on this team. So it, it was a great success. And then like six months later, I published my first book. It wasn't Miracle Morning. It's called Taking Life Head On, 2006. And I published my first book. And I'm like, how am I going to get this book out here? And I called John Kane. I don't, forgot his title, but he was basically like an executive that oversaw all the sales reps at Cutco. I'm like, hey, and I was really nervous. I, I still struggled to ask for help. I'm like, hey, John, um, 
I got this book coming out. I was thinking maybe if you could buy some copies for the conference, I would come speak, whatever. He goes, Hal, what you did this last year in leading this, we call it the ultimate club, in leading the ultimate club, this group every week, like we didn't pay you, you just did it. He goes, that may be the greatest contribution to this company that any single individual has ever made. He's like, I will buy any books that you want. I will do whatever you want. I'm like, oh, because I focused on selflessly adding value without any thought of forethought of like, how is this going to benefit me in the end? Now it's coming back. And so I feel like, and I just have lived my life that way for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever. And it just works, right? It's like, now I'm asking for help with the new Miracle Morning book, the updated edition. And, and I'm yeah. still scared to ask for help. And then every time I do, I'm pleasantly surprised. They're like, of course, yeah. of course, of course, whatever you need. You know, you're always there to help. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I forget that. So what I appreciate about what you were saying is that we're all selfish. Yeah. And if you're not, you're probably not breathing oxygen. Sure. Because you have to breathe oxygen for yourself. Totally. I'm not even talking about this mask thing on planes, which is not even true. I'm just saying that you have to take care of yourself in some capacity. And I love that reminder. Okay, can I help this other person? Is there something out there? And, and I will say doing Million Dollar Weekend where my books come out in a little bit, it's kind of surprising how many people are like, yeah, I'll help. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Like, because you, you helped me, dude. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you're, you're coming to my podcast in a few weeks, man. I got you. Well, and, and again, I think for anyone out there, if you're feeling down about yourself, if you're feeling like you're not having a miracle morning, or take in your morning to just compliment someone else in your miracle morning. Take your morning to just do one thing for someone else. Yeah. Doesn't that do big even? It's kind of surprising how small it could be. The other kind of two comments about you said, what you said, which is interesting is, we all say we have priorities with being selfless, but how many of us actually do the thing we say is our priority? That's something I've been really thinking about. I've said my girlfriend is my priority. And then she's like, it's not because you don't finish work at six. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, I've got to actually prioritize those things. And, and if I say it, I want to help others. Yeah. And you say you want to do these things. And I, I think that's a great reminder. That kind of side thing you, just, you, you mentioned, you hinted at again, for success out there, it's not the first time. And what I mean by that is, you said, hey, I wrote a book in 2006. We're in what year, 2023? Yeah. And we'll do another episode in 2028. How was swinging? Yeah. You weren't sitting on the sidelines. You were in the kitchen. You were in the bookstore, whatever, writing your book, putting it out there, and then did another book, another book. And eventually that did lead to, to what Miracle Morning is. And I think yeah. what I've seen from Million Dollar Weekend is the biggest takeaway is people taking action today, right now, yeah. sending the compliment, being selfless, putting themselves out there, whatever it is that leads them to the purpose and destination that they're excited about. Yeah. One thing I want to come back on that we were saying, and I took a note for myself to say thank you and, and go help one guy who came on my YouTube channel, this guy, Larry Janeski. I was like, I need to send a thank you note for how much he, he was generous with me sharing his story. You said during dinner, you guys go over your family values. Is that true? And what is this? I was yeah. imagining, damn, that sounds like a, like a TV show. We started this years ago and we totally fell off it. So uh, we're not this perfect family where, oh, I do everything. Like, no, uh, we felt we did it for a little bit, fell off it. And then we just started recently. I just, I actually invested in a program called Family Brand with Chris and Melissa Smith and went through this family brand program. And uh, one of the things it reminded us, oh, we need to set our family values. And so I printed them out. And when we first learned them, it was do them at your weekly family, like have a family meeting every week where you sit down. And we also fell off with that. And it was doing them once a week. But what I know from the Miracle Morning is like the power of affirmations when they're done effectively and they've got to be done consistently. The point of affirmations to me is reprogramming your subconscious mind, which has to be done on a daily basis, and then directing your conscious thoughts and behavior, which has to be done on a daily basis, right? You can't, once a week, you, you're six days without doing it, you're not getting that effective. So anyway, I was like, oh, why don't we have it stack? And how about I'll print out the affirmations and I'll just keep them by the kitchen table or the dining room table, and then we'll read them every night, either before, during, or after dinner. And so there's, I think we have like eight family values and we just go around the table and everybody reads you know, ends up reading two between the four of us. It's been really powerful. And what are the, uh, what's on that paper? 
family values, we talk about Elrod's prioritize. We put family first and we're here to support each other and love each other and be there for each other. I was intentional with some of the wording because like I started to see my teenage daughter, right? Like value friends more than family, which every teenager I think goes through. So I put in in one of the the family values, it says like, we value family more than anything because we know that even though friends come and go, only family (laughs) is forever, right? So I want that instilled like, oh yeah, my family is going to be here no matter what. Um, We talk about impact, Elrod's impact. You know, we look for ways to help other people because we know that if we were in their shoes, we hope that someone else would be there to help us. We talk about our spirituality and, you know, Elrod's, um, you know, we believe in God and, and we pray every day and so on and so forth. Talk about discipline. And again, the whole thing ends with Elrod's do what's right, not what's easier. Do the right thing, not the easy thing. I love it. I love it. In most companies, and I was surprised because in AppSumo, you know, we've been doing it 13 years. And when I used to hear companies, I guess because of Intel. Yeah. I remember at Intel, they had this shit on the wall. It was like, be nice to others, compete. And I was just like, it's such crap. And I remember thinking it was all crap. Like, this is not something that actually works in companies. Yeah. But I was wrong. And these values are what actually are the, what are the actual behaviors you want to encourage? And what are people actually doing? What I've realized is that if you have a destination, which is a vision, or let's say a mission or purpose, whatever it is you want, and values, a behavior, people know how to operate when you're not around. And having less of them, but you see which ones are actually used. So at AppSumo, we have test and invest. So if you want to do something crazy, great, test it. No, 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 we need to invest. No, no, that's not what we do here. Double down. What does that mean? Somebody's working, how much of it are you doing? 1x, 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x, 10x, every day, all day? Nice. And, and the idea here is like, how do you encourage the values, whether the dads and moms are looking? And so that as the company goes on beyond me, ideally, they know how to operate. And same as sounds like in your own family values, like what matters to us? And that's something that it's kind of a living document, I'm sure that totally as you saw the friends, you're like, friends aren't bad, but when your friend leaves you or they're not showing up, guess who's always going to be there, which yeah. really is mom and dad. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is a living document. Like we just added, we realized I'm like, health's not on here. So we, we had seven values and then I added an eighth. I'm like, Elrods are healthy. We eat food <laughs> that supports our body for energy and longevity. And we move our body every day so that we have lots of, you know, energy. And I mean, so, so Love I was that. like, we need to add that one on, you know? And now it's like, for me, I'm, I keep thinking, I'm like, oh, how, I don't want to be too long. We're gonna have like, you know, 30 values, but it's yeah. tough with a lot of, we had a lot. And then it was really interesting to notice what actually gets said, what yeah. actually gets behaved. Yeah. Right. Like AppSumo team first. And I'm like, is anyone saying this? And yes, you see people like, okay, no, are you behaving in AppSumo team first? And they challenge me on it. I'm like, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we hire adults. So what's an adult? It's someone who can solve their own problems. It's someone who's not tattletaling. Someone who's not talking behind someone's back. They're an adult. Nice. They go and tell the person they fix it. So it's noticing that. And I like that you, you have that in your family. Two kind of last things I wanted to, I was interested in covering. What are the worries you have this week? Because <laughs> you have an impression, and I, I have my own narrative about you, where it's like, Miracle Morning, I turned tragedy into triumph, triumph. pain into purpose. Yeah, and that's something that your parents really instilled in you. But I'm kind of curious, what's the smallest things and the things that bother you on, on the weekly basis, like this week? So <laughs> this week, it's in the last three months, it's the book launch. I have never, and that's, it's probably recency bias, but I have, I don't remember the last time I felt this stressed out and this overwhelmed. And that's why I pulled Ben Hardy's book, Gap in the Gain, The Gap in the Gain off the shelf, because I'd read it, you know, a year ago or something and uh, a couple years ago. And I realized, oh, I'm in the gap. And in the, you know, that concept is either you're focusing on the gap between where you were or like zero, right? Like where you started and where you are. So this can be big picture or it could be just today, right? So meaning like you look at your to-do list, you're like, if you're in the gap, you're focusing on the 16 things you didn't get done. 
if you're in the gain, you're focusing on the four things that you did get done. Your psychology is right. So I've been in the gap where I'm like, oh, we're not where I want to be with pre-orders and we're, you know, um, and, and this and just, and I, I have 17 things to do and I only got four done today. And so, yeah, so that's been my big worry is like, you know, and my, and my team remind, they're like, it doesn't matter. You know, the Miracle Morning, this is, this book's changed millions of lives. It's not dependent on how the, the launch goes. Like it's going to continue to change millions more lives. And so it's like, it's easy to hear, but, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so that's been my, my big stressor the last few months. What are you stressed about? Letting people down. You know, this is the first time that we've ever had the Miracle Morning traditionally published. It's interesting. It's like a hybrid where I self-published the Miracle Morning in 2012. And then since then, it's been traditionally published by, I think, 37 foreign publishers. So it's translated in, you know, Portuguese in Brazil and in Chinese. And it's been the number one best-selling book in Brazil, in Korea. I mean, so it's done really well overseas. Anyway, so the point is, I've always wanted to traditionally publish it in the United States just to reach all those people that buy their books in the store, right? That they're not finding it online. And so finally we have a publisher. And so for me, it's like, I just want to do well for my publisher, for my team that's worked so hard to put this pre-order campaign together and all of everything, you know, so that's it. I think that's, I think that's actually it is it's the worry. And I go, if I probably went like really deep, it's probably like, okay, well then I feel like I'm letting them down. And then, yeah, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't love, I don't know if it like goes that deep, they wouldn't love me, but I think it's just, I just care about people. I want to do a good job for the people that I care about and I don't want to let them down. I actually text one of my team members the other day, who's like one of my close friends, Brianna. I was like, I'm struggling. I said, I'm really struggling with this. I said, I feel like I'm failing worse than I've ever failed before. I feel like I'm going to let everybody down. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, so again, we, I, we all deal with our internal, you know, fears, insecurities, et cetera. So what advice do you have for someone who's really struggling through a lot of adversity right now? Who's really, mm. and it, I'm not diminishing what you're going through. What, yeah. We're all going through our own sure. different, uh, different challenges. I'm, I'm curious what advice or what, what action you would recommend for them. If you're going through challenges right now, there's a couple things. And I'm going to go back to my car accident because this is where I learned or leading in my car accident. I learned the most valuable lesson I think that I've, I've learned to deal with adversity. And I learned it in my Cutco sales training. And it's called the five minute rule. And you remember this, we talked about it last time. Uh, but the five minute rule says it's okay to be upset, angry, scared, sad, like you call it negative, right? It's okay to, to be negative when things go wrong, but there's no value in dwelling on it for an extended period of time. And so we were taught in my sales training that when you're upset over something, like you get a no sale, a cancellation, whatever, set your timer for five minutes and give yourself five minutes to feel your emotions fully. Bitch, moan, cry, vent, punch a wall, whatever. And then at that point, when the five minute timer goes off, you have a, it's a really simple choice. It's okay, I can either continue to dwell on this thing that I can't change whether it happened five minutes ago or five months ago or five decades ago, I could continue to wish it didn't happen, be upset about it, resist the reality that it is, or I can say, can't change it and acknowledge I can't change what happened five minutes ago. So the only really logical choice I have is to accept it and be at peace with it. And so I practiced that for a year and a half on little things like canceled orders and customers not showing up and traffic. And then when I was woke up from a coma, six days after being in a coma and was told how you broke 11 bones, I was told I would never walk again and I had permanent brain damage. I went, wait a minute, you know, this is, how am I going to respond to this? And I ultimately went, well, I can't change what happened to me. So there's no value in wishing that it didn't happen. There's no value in wishing that I wasn't in a car accident. There's no value in being angry over the fact that I, this drunk driver hit me. There's no value in, you know, being set, like having my bones broken, whatever it was. I went, I want to be happy and enjoy my life. And so I decided I'll be the happiest, most grateful person anyone's ever seen in a wheelchair if I never walk again. 
but I'm not going to accept the worst case scenario as the only scenario. I'm going to maintain unwavering faith that maybe I can walk again while I accept that I won't be, might not be able to. I got to challenge that. I'm, yeah. I'm interrupting you. No, please do. Because I hear that, but then I still feel frustrated. And I hear that and I know I'm supposed to be happy and I know that happiness is a choice. That's what my business partner always yep. said. But I'm still angry with some days. Not Actually, not as much these days. Yeah. Past, past year or so, I've been pretty content. Yeah. But there's parts of the past, that, you know, where people are like, yeah, I should be happy. And I know it's only five minutes, but it's still like not solving it. It's still like there's like some deep down frustration. So I guess the question I would ask is, how long have you practiced the five minute rule would be the first question. The first time I heard that, I thought exactly what you're asking, which is like, you got to be kidding me. Like, just because a timer goes off after five minutes, I'm not going to not be upset anymore. I'm still going to feel the way that I feel. And the first time that my five-minute timer went off, it was like my second day in, in sales. And this lady drove out to her house and she didn't show up to the appointment. I was really upset. And she lived out in the boonies. And I, I said the timer and it went off after five minutes. And I'm like, I'm still pissed. And I said, I, I snoozed and did it again. And I did it a couple, like two or three times. And then I finally was like, okay, I guess my mentor's right. I can't change it. So I got to move on. And I'll say, it took me a while, but I got there. And that made me realize, oh, if I get there in 20 minutes, maybe I could get there in five minutes. And then something profound happened after a couple of weeks of doing the five minute rule every day. I'd set the timer and I'd get easier and easier because I knew where I was headed. I was headed to the place of, I can't change it. So I might as well just let it go and be at peace with it. And day by day, it became easier and easier and easier and easier until it got to the point where I set the timer once for five minutes. And I was like, I can't believe this lady canceled the biggest order of my career. That's terrible. And uh, what am I going to do? And uh, like immediately I had an answer. I'm like, well, the only thing I can do is accept it and move on and get on the phone tomorrow and try again. And I picked up my timer and I went, I have four minutes and 32 seconds left. And I was like, why don't I just make the choice to accept it now and move on? And so that five minute rule where I thought it was never going to be enough time, it all of a sudden was like, I don't even need five minutes. I can just live from a place of acceptance where I accept life before it even happens. And then a year and a half later, when I came out of the coma and I was like, oh, this is like the biggest test of my life. But the principle is universally applicable. I can't change that I was in a car accident. I can only choose how I experience the car accident and the recovery. I'm going to experience from a place of love, peace, gratitude, optimism. And I believe that is why two weeks later, I took my first step when the doctors thought that would never happen. I think there's a correlation of being at peace with the things we can't change choosing the emotions that best serve us. And I will say this, the miracle morning, like in the new edition, I teach something called emotional optimization meditation, which unlike most meditations where you're just following your breath to calm your monkey mind, this is actually a very proactive, intentional meditation where you ask yourself, what is the optimal mental and emotional state that would best serve me today? If you look at your schedule, you're like, what do I got on the schedule? Oh, I got it. I got it. I need, I need confidence for this big presentation. Or I'm playing with my kids this morning when they wake up. I want to get in a state of like love and playfulness but you identify your optimal state and then you follow this little process I teach in the book where you then get into that state, set your timer and you meditate in that state. So you're hardwiring it in your brain, in your nervous system to be in that state. And it allows you, becomes a superpower where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Instead of my emotions being dictated by, my, by outside forces, I can actually consciously choose the emotional state and that's how you can choose to be happy. It's not just saying I wanna be happy. It's you have to have a daily practice to reinforce that state of happiness, contentment, whatever the state is. Yeah, I agree with that. What all this is saying, and this is something I think about with my buddy Adam a lot, which is how are you not being a victim? Because you can't change some of these things as you're saying. You can't change it, which is one of the things I like that you say. But how are you taking power back? That's one of my favorite phrases. Like, how are you taking your power back in this situation? 
Yeah. Like we're blaming these other things. We're externalizing the things. It's like, how do we internalize it and deal with what's actually going on? Like yesterday, I'm doing pre-orders for my book as well, yeah. which is interesting. And some guy said like, oh, why are you trying to get me to buy the book? Like, just give it to me for free. Like I have a bunch of people give it to me for free. I that kind of stuff all the time. Well, and yeah. and it, it really hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah. I'm sensitive. <laughs> and I was too. like, and then, then I went for a bike ride and I had a chance. I was watching your videos and then it was interesting to, okay, like I'm choosing to allow this person really bother me. And I'm ignoring all the other people who are excited to be a part of this experience and yeah. want to be helped and I can actually help them. And it was a practice. And, and to your overall point, it's not that you become immune. I don't think you want to avoid the feelings, yeah. but something that I, why I feel more grounded in a non-punishable way, but grounded is that over the past years lately, I'm just trying, I am not even trying. I'm saying more positive things to myself and I'm taking control over this or power of the situation versus saying like, well, this person doesn't like it. I'm, I'm nothing. Yeah. This is like, okay, hey, no, you wrote a good book. You're yeah. proud of yourself. Yeah. Hey, this is good. And then just reinforcing these kind of positive messages, whether it's in a meditation in the morning or just throughout the day in, in any kind of instance, like, hey, I drink water day. Good job, man. Two answers to this question. The first is if you know your purpose. So, right, let's go back to the purpose. So if I go to Matthew Kelly, become the best version of myself and help other people do the same. So then whenever you face a challenge, adversity, big or small, you say, how can I use this to become the best version of myself and help others do the same? my car accident, I told my dad, he came in and he goes, hey, the doctors think you're either delusional or in denial. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, they say you're always happy and smiling and joking and they're telling you you're never going to walk again. And I said, well, dad, I said, A, I told him the wheelchair thing. I said, if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I'm going to be the happiest person in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. I will never let my unchangeable aspects of my life determine my, how I choose to feel and show up. But I said, the other piece is, I always want to be a motivational speaker. For the last year and a half, I've been speaking at Cutco conferences and I've followed Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins. And I've always think like, I want to do that. But I never had, I had a pretty good life. You and mom were good to me. I mean, I was bullied, normal stuff growing up, but maybe that's why I'm going through this. Maybe this happened to me so that I can overcome this so I can help other people. Turning pain into purpose. So anything that you're going through, Noah, anything any one of us goes through, we're not the only one that's going to go through it. There's going to be somebody else whether it's your kids or your employees or your friends, if you can't get through it, how are you going to help them get through it? And so to me, there's this universal responsibility for every one of us as a member of the human family to be as positive and proactive when we face any challenge, big or small, so that we can get through it, become a better version of ourselves, and then help everybody we ever encounter that's going through their own stuff by sharing, hey, I had something similar happen to me. And I was stressed, I was frustrated, but I decided to accept it as it was. I found that I could be at peace with it. I turned my pain into purpose. I used it to help other people and now I'm sharing it with you. And I really hope that what I did would help you. And here's how I did it, right? So I think that's a universal answer to any adversity we face is how can I become a better version of myself and then help others do the same? What regrets do you have in life? I used to live with no regrets. And I find that the older I get, the more, you know, I question that, like, should I have done this? In fact, we, you know, my wife and I, uh, we bought a, a, a ranch or called a ranch, it's kind of a ranch acreage out in, uh, outside of Austin uh, a few years ago. And we bought it at the height of the market. And now, you know, I, I, I'm like, was this the right move? Not just financially, was it, is this where, where I want to be? And now I'm like, because of the market and where it's headed, I'm like, I might be stuck here for 10 years before housing prices are where they were when I bought it. It's not a black and white regret because I'm like, I have, I do always have faith. Like I look at my life, I think about Steve Jobs saying you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And most of my life, 
you know, whether it was the car accident or these experiences, I went at the time, you know, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust that there's some benefit. There's something in for me, for other people, if I can make it through this and not that I have to make it through the home that I live in, but, um, you know, but yeah, but that, that's one, that is one where I'm like, I do question it. So it's like a, a yeah. fringe regret. Like, I'm not sure if I regret it, but I might like, I don't know. There's no point in living in regret because that is resisting reality from the past, wishing something you can't, right? It's, it's the whole five minute. We're like, I can't change it. So what's the point in allowing myself to dwell in regret? And I think it's the whole first thought, second thought thing. If your first thought is like, oh my God, I regret it. The second thought should be, is this serving me? No. Third thought should be, how can I move through it? Yeah, I love that. That's what I just been thinking about. I was like jealous of someone. I told my therapist, he's like, I was like, yeah, I was really jealous of him. He's like, all right. And then what about afterwards? Because it was my friend who I was jealous of. Mm. He's like, you know, you can think about something after that too. Like, yeah. You're jealous and that's also good for them. And I was like, I can have two thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could even go to a third. A third. Uh, you know, where you can move forward with it. And wrapping up here, how the hell did you sell 2 million books? You know, for anyone, a lot of my audience is entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs. And so, you know, marketing and selling in business, I'm curious specifically in terms of the marketing of the Miracle Morning, like what do you think are the key inflection moments that help deliver uh, 2 million sales, which is for people who are, haven't written a traditional or self-published book, like, so if you get to 100,000, you're literally, so my publisher, if it's like we hit 100,000, they're impressed. If you hit a million, it's just not possible, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've done 2 million. Yeah, this is a story that I think everybody can really learn, from, like this story, this lesson, everyone can learn from. So when I was writing The Miracle Morning, I almost didn't do it. The only reason I did it was because this book changed my life. No, sorry, not this book, this practice. So in 2008, I created this practice. Within two months, I more than doubled my income during the Great Recession, doing The Miracle Morning. It wasn't called that. It was just this morning personal growth practice, right? And I remember the day I signed two coaching clients, I went to my wife and I said, sweetheart, I just signed two coaching clients. We have officially doubled our income in the last two months. And it's all because of this morning routine. It feels like a freaking miracle. She goes, it's your miracle morning. I go, I love that miracle morning. That's I like, so I started writing my schedule, miracle morning. And then like a few weeks later, this gal, Katie, my coaching client, she goes, hey, I want to do morning routines. I keep reading about them. Like, do you have a morning routine? I'm like, and I'm beaming. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got like the coolest morning routine. Yeah, yeah. And so I shared it with her. And she's like, I'm not really a morning person, but I'll try it. She comes back to the next call hell, oh my gosh, it works. I'm doing the miracle morning. I just had the best week in my sales career. I'm running again. I'm reading like, this is amazing. And I was like, I'm going to teach to all my coaching clients. I taught all of them and most of them resisted. I'm not morning person. I go, neither was I. They all came back to their next call. 13 out of 14 were like, it works. I'm doing it. And that's when the light bulb went off. I went, if this miracle morning practice worked for me and it worked for my clients and we were not morning people, this could work for anyone. I have a sense of responsibility to share this with the world. So I started writing The Miracle Morning. It took three years because I am a slow writer. And so many times I would have writer's block or just fear of like, I'd go, how am I going to convince people to wake up early? Because that's like a deep-seated belief. Like, I'm not a morning person. You know, I've never been one. Don't like waking up early ever since I was a kid. So I'm like, how am I going to convince people? And thank God that was such an insecurity because it drove me to write the book in a way of like, if someone thought they could never be a morning person, how could they be, right? Anyway, so I self-published the book in 2012. And my goal that year, I just started to get excited because I started seeing people that like the, the launch team that got the advanced copy, how this, this book saved my marriage. This like all these really profound things. And I'm like, okay, I got to get this in the hands of millions of people. So my mission was change 1 million lives one morning at a time. And that year I did everything in my power. Like my entire life was promoting the miracle morning. So what that looks like, I was on 152 podcasts. I did 36 speeches around the country at high schools and colleges. 
I hired like a PR person and I was on 13 morning talk shows. I posted on social media almost every day in the Miracle Morning community and on my social platforms. I did everything I possibly could to sell a million books. And at the end of the year, I was 987,000 copies short of my goal. <laughs> okay, so that's a 98.7% failure rate. I sold 13,000 copies, right? And I got to pull out the calculator. I go, okay, so wait a minute. I'll be 110 years old by the time I get to a million at this rate. I'm like, that's discouraging. I go, okay, but I'm gonna dust myself off. I'm gonna just try again. And I live by this thing I call the miracle equation. It's a, another book that I wrote, but it's unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, no matter how long it takes. That, that's how you approach any goal to me. So I'm like, all right, I'll try it year two. Year two, I sold like 23,000 copies, so, but I'm still 960,000 copies away. From 13,000 to, to 23. It's like 10,000 more or 23 total? 10,000 more, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think just one call out there. So no, you, no, sorry, 23,000 year two. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so You yeah. doubled the amount of sales. Yes, yeah, It's yeah. pretty, I mean, in most business, doubling your, your output is, or doubling your results is pretty good. Uh, just to call it, so you did like podcast, you're promoting every day. Everything. It was my, my whole life. This was 2012 to, you know, 13, and then going into 14. So I've probably done, I don't know, five, six, 700 podcasts, you know, at this point. But here's the biggest lesson is I believed in the miracle morning so much because it had changed my life. And if you're listening to this, right, I, I call this, Micro evidence, right? Where if you get five people that go, hey, your product like radically changed my life. Your service, it made a, it, it, it's a game changer. I share it with everyone I know. That's all you need to go, okay, I've got something here that helps people. Now I just have to keep sharing it for as long as it takes to reach the amount of people that I wanna reach. And I often give a speech called uh, Beyond the Bestseller. And I teach like how hitting a bestseller list is, meaningless. How do you go beyond that? Like I never had a bestseller list. I just wanted to reach a lot of people. And I show this graph that shows the Miracle Morning book sales for the first, you know, year and a half. And it was like nothing, 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 nothing. But I was still working in my butt off doing everything. And I wasn't seeing very many results. I wasn't getting a lot of sales. It took a year and a half. And I was on Pat Flynn's podcast, the Smart Passive Income podcast, who I had asked early on. And he said, no, and then he reached back out and said, hey, I keep hearing about this miracle morning thing, dude, come on. And uh, I felt like his was the catalyst where he started out by saying, I'm not a morning person, so convince me. I'm like, all right, I'll try. And by the end, he goes, hell, I think you're, you know, maybe there's a level of productivity that I'm missing out on by not doing this miracle morning. I'm gonna give it a shot for 30 days. I'll commit publicly right now and I'll share on social media. And that's where the sales, you know, kind of finally took off. But the point is when I show that graph to other authors, that where it took 18 months to, to get traction, they go, oh, I only promoted my book for three months or six months and it wasn't selling a lot. So I focused on the next part of my business. I, I started my next book and they go, I wonder if I would add your long-term commitment and just kept sharing my book over and over and over, right? There's a book called The Tipping Point, which talks about like brands that make it. It's like they trudge along and then finally, the right person, the right marketing campaign, the right something, and then their book hits that hockey stick, growth. I mean, that is it. It's A, it's enthusiasm. I, authenticity and enthusiasm. It's that sales, my formula, right? I genuinely believe the Miracle Morning needed to get in the hands of every person. And here's the deal. It's 11 years since the original book published. This is still my life's work, and it probably will be forever because 2 million people have read the Miracle Morning, which means 8 billion people I have yet to reach. And I really mean it that I will spend the rest of my life trying to reach all of humanity. And whenever I die, I, I don't know where I'll be. And hopefully there'll be somebody to, you know, my daughter or someone to like 
carry it on and keep sharing the message. But I believe that much in it that everything I do centers around the Miracle Morning. How long did it take to get to a million? Six years. Do you remember the numbers year over year? I don't. I don't. But it was, yeah, it was yeah, 13, 23, 37, maybe, I mean, something like that. And then what happened is I ended up meeting the right person. I met Mike Koenigs at an event. He referred his agent. His agent brought the Miracle Morning and got all those foreign publishers. And, and Miracle Morning has sold more in other countries than it has in the United States. It sold more books in Brazil than it has in the U.S. alone. And then Brazil is the biggest, uh, the biggest country. Yeah. I think coming back, just the, the full thing is finding something to believe in and sticking with it. That's it. There's a great quote, writer adage, like, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. So the question is, what do you believe in enough that you're willing to spend 10 years to see it become an overnight success? That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. If you did, go check out Hal's new book, The Miracle Morning, Expand Edition V2. It's powerful. Check it out. You can also give him some love on Twitter, Hal Elrod, as well as on Instagram, The Miracle Morning. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, man, let's go have an early morning walk together. And before you go, give me some feedback, at Noah Kagan on the DM on Twitter and on Instagram. I, I read every single one of them, at Noah Kagan. Also, go check out tidycal.com. If you are not using tidycal or you're the last one left, this product is blowing up, especially if you hate paying for calendly.com or all these other alternatives. Who, who likes paying monthly? No one. Use it for customer calls, which is what I do. Booking meetings for podcasts, which is what I do as well. You can also get paid from it. People get paid to have meetings. That's awesome. People are making six figures a year. That is tidycal.com. Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team that helped make all these podcasts and everything happen. Jason at podcasttech.com from doing these episodes. Thank you, brother. Hope you're doing great. Thank you to Jeremy, Cammy, Tommy, Sylvie, Dylan, J.E. from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do and helping pull this together. And every single person that's gorgeous at AppSumo. I love every single one of you people. You're amazing. Have a tremendous day. What's your favorite city?